Okay, well then I'll start. Okay, you guys ready for this? We are in the middle of the As I series. As I, we're talking about how to love like Jesus loves, which raises the bar. Today, we're going to raise it up even more. And uh, to start off, I just want to tell you, uh, I used to be a youth pastor. And as a youth pastor, I never got angry at the students, except for one time. I, and I never, like, they never got to me. You know, I had a lot of patience and stuff, but just this one time, it got to me, what a student said. Um, there was an issue between two girls, and I talked to one of them, and uh, she just, I asked her, so what did this other girl do? And she didn't have anything to say. She just scoffed, like, I just hate her. <laughs> and, and in my mind, you know, I think what happened is um, the girl that she had a problem with, I could tell, like, was from a poor family. And at the moment, I didn't realize it, but I took it personally because I think I could identify with that a little more. And the fact that she just looked down because she was poor, like, messed with me for a second. I mean, I kept my cool. I smiled. I was fine. But, but there was something there. And I think that was one, one of the real times that I noticed, like, we can be pretty divided in a world and with each other, and sometimes we, we judge each other just based off of what we wear or how we look. Um, so today we're talking about Jesus being a barrier breaker. Uh, but before we do, let's think about just how divided our world is. So Washington Post put out um, an article that said that 40 years ago, a married couple about 60% of married couples had the same political affiliation, 60%. Today, it's 85%. So in 40 years, we got to a point where we will not marry a person or we will not take seriously a relationship with a person who has different political views than us. They're on a different camp, they're in a different team, and we won't associate with them. Uh, they did a study years ago with Boy Scouts to see just what is behind this whole tribalism that we have. They got 22 Boy Scouts together, and for a week, they were in two different groups, camping, doing their thing. And then, after a week, they, they realized that there was another group there. And what the researchers identified, they said there was irrational contempt for the other group, just because they weren't their group. We have, we have this. Uh, some people say that it's because of evolutionary uh, biology, that there's something about a protecting our own people and our own group, our own tribe, and we're suspicious of another tribe. I, I don't know, but I do know we are divided. And today, you know, we are uh, approaching a uh, political campaign season where politicians are going to use that against us. They are going to use as much of that uh, negativity, that, that anger toward one another, and they're going to use it for their own benefit because we are so divided. In my experience where I've seen this, I've seen this when it comes to um, dealing with racism. I've seen uh, some people, uh, when they talk about racism, uh, they have such a difficult time sharing their own personal experiences because it's been so traumatic. But then I talk to someone else, and 
if you even bring up the word racism or even allude to the fact that there could be racism today or that some people are at a disadvantage or some people are dealing with problems that others may not because of the color of their skin, then they will immediately see you with suspicion. They'll call you woke. They'll, they'll think that you are um, just not to be trusted as a pastor. So, so we, we fit into these nice categories so often, and there's one side or the other. Um, you may or may not know just how divisive the issue of LGBT and how to, um, how to engage people from the LGBT community. Um, right now, the Methodist denomination is going through all kinds of challenges. There's two Methodist pastors in town that I've talked to, and they'll talk about these denominational meetings, and people are furious with each other. There is no sort of Christian love. They, they, they are just exhausted, and I, I see these pastors, and they are so worn out being in the middle of this. Churches are dividing. People are leaving the Methodist denomination. It's a wreck. And so often it's because we have made up our mind and we're not willing to talk to the other side. Um, just last week at the Super Bowl, there was a commercial that uh, a group called He Gets Us, some really rich Christians um, donated money to put out an ad to, to promote Jesus. And in the ad, it was different people washing different people's feet. And the internet blew up, obviously, with people being so mad because people are washing the feet of people outside Planned Parenthood. Or there was a person who may have been gay or trans who's having his feet washed. And, and people were so furious, saying, Jesus would never do that. He only washed his disciples' feet. But if you remember, if you're listening to Hannah, there was one disciple in particular that Jesus did not endorse but he still washed his feet. But people are just so angry, so angry. We're so divided. Well, the thing is, we're divided today. Jesus was in a world that was divided as well. And so what does Jesus do? It might surprise you how Jesus acts and how he responds to a divided world. And so I want to tell you a couple stories, and then I want to tell you about the Sermon on the Mount. The first story I want to tell you about, and all this is in Matthew, the first one is one day Jesus was at Capernaum, which was normal. He goes to Capernaum a lot. But what wasn't normal was a centurion came up to Jesus. This would have been odd. This was a military leader. They call them centurions because there were over about 80 to 100 other military people. And he goes up to Jesus. He says, my servant is paralyzed. Will you please save him? Will you heal him? And uh, this is, I don't know if this is the best analogy. This is the best I could come up with, but it's almost like a Nazi soldier going up to uh, a prisoner in a concentration camp saying, I need your help. Like this is the animosity. Rome occupied Jerusalem. Rome occupied the Jews. They were in charge. They were the enemy. And here we have a military leader going up to Jesus saying, I need your help. He calls him Lord. And Jesus says, so I'm going to go to your house and heal your servant. And uh, theologians debate because in the Greek, he emphasizes the personal pronoun, the I. He says, I myself am going to go to your house. 
And uh, what some theologians think is that what Jesus was doing was showing hesitation. He says, I can't go to your house. Like, like a little bit of sarcasm. Like, you expect me to go to your house? You're a Roman. You're a Gentile. You're a centurion. I can't go to your house. And the centurion replies, he says, I would never ask you to go to my house. I know that your law says that you would be unclean to go to a Gentile's house. I'm unworthy to have you under my roof. He says this, he says, just say the word and it'll be done. He says, I'm a man under authority and when I tell someone to go, he goes. When I say come, he comes. I understand that you have an authority that is beyond my authority and you just say the word and my servant will be healed. That's impressive. That's impressive. I mean, I don't have that kind of faith very often. But here we go. We've got a Gentile centurion, the enemy with that kind of honor, respect, faith in Jesus. And Jesus names it. He says, I haven't found it anywhere else in Israel. Uh, uh, great faith like the centurion. Then Jesus says something really offensive. He says, my dad the father, is throwing a big party, big banquet. And uh, there's going to be people like him. There's going to be Gentiles who come. And there's going to be Jews who won't be at the party. He says, the, the people that you think aren't God's people are going to be there. The people that you would think are God's people will be out in the rain crying. And he leaves it at that. Like, what in the world? I mean, so this is what Jesus does. Like, he shows hesitation, but man, he honors this guy. You know, what does this story tell us about our divisions, especially religious divisions? What can this tell you? Well, it tells you that so much of it is unexpected. There's a reversal in our expectations here. Let's look at another story. Jesus is walking along, and um, this... Canaanite woman comes up to Jesus. Canaanite woman. So she wasn't just anybody. She was a woman. There's a gender divide. But she wasn't just any Gentile woman. She was a Canaanite woman. And if you've read the Old Testament, Israel and the land of Canaan don't get along. Israel, who was redeemed and rescued out of Egypt, they need a land. They need a place to stay. And so God says, Here's some really awful people. I want you to wipe them out and take their land, the Canaanites. Apparently, they didn't wipe them all out because this woman <laughs> survived a thousand years later. She's still around. But imagine the animosity between the Jews and the Canaanites that has lasted for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. This Canaanite woman goes up to Jesus, says, Lord, calls him Lord again, says, Son of David. The son of David, that's the Jewish Messiah. That, that is a title of nobility, though, of royalty. David was king of Israel. She called him the Jewish king. She says, son of David, my daughter is demon-possessed. Will you have mercy on her? And, of course, we would expect Jesus is a nice guy, right? What's he going to do? He's going to show mercy to the Canaanite woman, right? No. Do you know what he does? 
He ignores her. He doesn't say a word. And then his disciples get in on that. They say, you want us to get rid of her? Well, we'll shoo her away. And he doesn't respond to his disciples. Instead, he turns to the Canaanite woman, and he does something pretty shocking, pretty offensive. Is anyone familiar with the story? Do you know what he calls her? He turns to this woman. He says, who am I to give the food to a dog? He says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. See, see, this is a very theologically rich statement Jesus said. But it's also, it, you can't help but seeing it insulting to call a woman a dog. I don't know what, what cultural context you come from. That is pretty rough, and that's what Jesus does. Why would Jesus do that? He says, I can't be given food to a dog. What's the, the historical, theological context? How, what does Jesus see his mission as? Well, Jesus knows that God called out a specific people, the Israelites, that the world had turned their back on God, and God said, I'm going to raise up a nation to be my special treasured possession, my kingdom of priests, that they're going to represent me to the world, and through them, the whole world will know who Yahweh, the God of Israel, is. God calls this nation Israel. He says, you, by you, all the other nations are going to be blessed. But Israel fails again and again and again until they're in captivity and until they're in occupation to Rome, expecting a Messiah to come and rescue them. Well, Jesus is that Messiah. And Jesus recognizes his place, that his place is primarily to rescue Israel. God's original plan to save Israel so that Israel will be a blessing to the nations. And so beautiful when you read the Gospels in this light, you see how Jesus rescues Israel by taking on the, the role of Israel. He's in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, just like they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus takes on the role of Israel, and he, instead of failing, he's faithful. And so all of that is underneath the statement when he tells this Canaanite woman, I can't give the food to dogs. What he's saying is that Israel is God's child. Israel has a special place with God. And, and I have a mission. And, and I have a responsibility to Israel first. So what does she say? I mean, 99% of people... I, I don't care what culture you're from. If you're called a dog, <laughs> you're probably not going to engage in conversation anymore beyond that point that is in any way constructive. But she says, don't the dogs get scraps too? This is brilliant. What this woman is doing is she is tracking with Jesus. She's not taking it personally. And, and maybe, you know, maybe it's the mother's heart in her that she's just desperate to see her child saved, that she's like, I'm going to track. But she has such faith, and she is tracking with Jesus. And she realizes what Jesus is doing is not insulting her, but he's inviting her in on a riddle and a puzzle. And, and he's saying, he's testing her. And she passes the test. She says, well, you know what? 
I don't care that Israel is your child because there's some people who have dogs for pets and they love their pets just like their children and even the dogs get scraps. And so I know that you have responsibility to Israel, but you also are a kind master and you're going to be kind to me, I bet. I know the kind of person you are. And Jesus says yet again, he says, this is great faith. Two stories we see People who shouldn't understand what Jesus is about, they get it. They understand his authority. They understand his mission. They're not taking things personally. They're engaging with him, and they are showing incredible faith. If anything, when I look at these stories, I see how there, this is a challenge for us because so often we know that we know that we know who are the people of God. We know who are the respectable Christians, who are the people that God's blessing. We are so sure of it. And in Jesus' day, they were so sure of who was in and who was out. They were guaranteed. Jesus even affirmed, so to speak, who's in and out. And then he says, wow. The people you least expect have some really unthinkable faith. He's bridging those divides. He understands the divides. He even respects the cultural context he finds himself in. But he's breaking them. Now let's talk about one of the most outrageous, radical things Jesus has ever said. This is coming from the Sermon on the Mount, longest block of teaching in Matthew's gospel that Jesus gives, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, um, he, he starts off his sermon by, blessed are, are the poor in spirit. He says, you are the salt of the earth. He says, you are the light of the world. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Again, we got to understand the Old Testament. This was Jesus' Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. He says, I haven't come to abolish it. I've come to fulfill it. And then he says this. He says, you know your religious leaders, your Pharisees, your scribes, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you're not entering the kingdom. And that'd be scary to say. It'd be like, you know, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of Hannah, you're not getting in. I mean, man, that's impossible. That's impossible. <laughs> Thank you. And then he goes on to say, like, how that happens. He says, you've heard that it was said. Six times. You've heard that it was said, don't, get, don't murder. He says, but I tell you, don't get angry. You've heard that it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, don't lust. You've heard that it said, if you get a divorce, um, you got to write up a certificate. He says, but I tell you, don't get a divorce. He says, you've heard that it was said, keep your oaths. He said, stop even making oaths. Just say yes or no. He says, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He says, mm, no. If someone slaps you, turn to them the other cheek. And then the sixth one, his culmination, the pinnacle, the summary, what it means to follow Jesus, what it looks like to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, his whole summary of what it looks like to be righteous is what he says here. This sixth one, he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor as yourself, love your neighbor, and hate your enemy. As Jesus is saying these, you've heard that it was said, he's quoting the Old Testament, 
and he's quoting the Jewish teachers as well. So want to make a guess which, which half is Old Testament, which half is scripture, and which half was added on by the Jewish teachers of the time. So the, the first one, the love your neighbor, is a direct quote out of Leviticus. The second one, hate your enemies, was how they understood the Bible. And it's really interesting. If you do a dive into this, you read some things that come real close to this command to hate your enemy. Real close. Read Psalm 5 or Psalm 139, and you'll hear people saying, I hate and I abhor um, wicked people and sinners, and, and that God hates them. And you read some of the Old Testament, and you think, this makes sense. We love our neighbors. We love our kind. We love those in our group, but we hate the others. And that became uh, uh, taken for granted. And I'm not sure what to quite do with those psalms, except, uh, you know, Sharina preached on this months ago about how we give out these ugly prayers. And I wonder if some of those song, psalms aren't um, telling us exactly the heart of God as much as the heart of the psalmist and an appropriate, uh, even ugly ways we're invited to come before God, and we can tell God that we're feeling hate, but that's not really his will for us, is to continue on hating people. So Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And he gives two reasons. He says, so that you may be children, sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son shine on the good and the bad. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Why should we love our enemies? Because God shows goodness and favor and he takes care of some of the worst people as well as the good. He sees them all as his responsibility, his creatures, his children. To some degree, they're all gods. And so if you're going to be like God, if you're going to be like your Father in heaven, you're going to show kindness even to your enemies. He gives another reason. He says, well, what, what, what more are you doing if you only greet your brothers, your sisters? Don't even the tax collectors do that. He says, what reward do you have if you only love those who love you? The Gentiles can handle that fine. He says, no, you've called to be different. You've been called to be set apart. You've been called to be complete. Jesus is saying, if there is one defining marker that's going to set apart my people from anyone else in the world, it is this, that you are going to love people who are different than you. You're going to love people who hurt you. And of course, Jesus sets the example. Hannah talked about washing Judas's feet. The author is so clear that it was Judas, the one who was going to betray Jesus, the enemy of Jesus that Jesus showed kindness and love to. Even hanging on the cross, he prays, God, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Jesus shows us what it means to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. And if you're here and you're serious about following Jesus, or if you want to attempt to follow Jesus, you cannot ignore this most critical command to love your enemies, to love 
the other, to break barriers. You know, I, I really struggle with this because as a pastor, I'm constantly feeling the pressure to choose sides. We, we want to fit in to these nice boxes so, so much. So there, there are all these culture wars going on when it comes to, when it comes to sexuality, gender, abortion, and all of these things that um, people make it out to be like these are very simple, obvious, black and white issues. And I don't know, maybe this is my problem. Maybe, maybe I'm just a little slower, but I see a lot of complexity in so many of these. And, and, and when I hear stories of people on both sides, they both can give really compelling arguments sometimes. And when I read the scriptures, I see really strong points on one side, and then I see how it may not be as strong on the same side. And I, I've uh, realized that um, I may not always, I may not ever have real confident answers for some of these really difficult questions. But one thing I know that I'm called to do and to be is to be a bridge builder and to show honor and respect to people who feel really strongly on both sides and, and to show compassion for people who um, have been hurt because of these things or, or who, who, who feel... Um, who feel really strongly in, in God's purity and want to fight for that, I want to respect that. I was reading one book uh, this week, and Hannah really uh, challenged me. I'm like, this guy is ridiculous. What is wrong with him? He is so nuts, and he thinks of the world as so evil and bad. And I'm like, is he making this up? And Hannah tells me, she's like, he probably believes it. And man, that's probably a hard place to live. I, I don't know, maybe you guys are like that. I don't want to be, I want to be sensitive because um, I, I, there's a lot of people who, and maybe I'm, I'll be a little more specific, maybe just in case you're not catching where I'm going, but there's a lot of Christians who just view this country, view America as going to hell and everything's getting worse and worse and worse and anything that, uh, any, any decisions we make is just always and only against God. And uh, we got to fight for our country back. We got to fight to be a Christian nation again. And that was the, kind of the attitude. And um, and Hannah challenged me to be more compassionate, because e even the person that I may disagree with, I've got to try to understand where they're coming from. And so as I was listening to this audiobook more and more, I'm like, okay, actually, he does have some good points, and there are some things that really challenge me, and some things I can learn. And. Uh, so that's our challenge. That's the challenge, not from me, but from Jesus, is, is let's get specific. When you think of your friends, the people you're around, the people you learn from, are they just like you or are they different from you? I'll tell you, we are so, so blessed to have a diverse church. You have no idea how lucky we are. I thank God that we have such diversity in this church because there are people from different backgrounds who teach me so much of what it means to live in community, to love people, to love Jesus. And as people who are different than me that I learn so much from and that challenge me and inspire me so much. Um, and we get to enjoy Ghanaian cookies too, which are far superior than anything else we eat. <laughs> but, but the challenge is befriend an other. Don't other an other. Befriend an other. Give to be friends. How are you going to be friends with somebody who's different than you? How are you going to forgive somebody who's hurt you? 
tell you there's a situation where it's been years and years that I'm still working out my forgiveness. I'm committed, but I'm not there yet. How are you going to forgive? How are you going to pray for the best in somebody who hurts you? Let's pray. Father God, you send rain and you provide for the just and the unjust. Jesus, would you give us the heart that will honor and love and pray for people who are different, people who stand on the different aisle, people who look different than us, think different than us, do things we would never consider doing. God, we pray that you would forgive us for the contempt we have held in our hearts for people who think differently and have different opinions than us. God, may we be like you, Jesus, and see the good in the others. May we be like you, Jesus, and be a barrier breaker and a bridge builder. Jesus, may we be like you in praying for forgiveness even while they're hurting us. May we be that kind of different in our world. We pray that we would represent you, Jesus, and we would love like you love to the people that we don't love so easily. Father God, would you give us endurance? Would you help us know just how deeply we're loved? That